Raise your hand if you have ever received an invitation to an event which included an RSVP. Okay. Might have been a wedding, might have been a birthday party, might have been a bridal shower, baby shower. Based on the show of hands, the majority of us here have received an invite which included this RSVP in which the hosts wanted to, us to let them know if we were going to be in attendance at their event. After all, that's what RSVP stands for. It stands for the French phrase, répondez s'il vous plaît, which translated means, please respond. This concept of responding to an invitation is something that we see take place on a number of occasions throughout the scriptures. In Genesis 18, we see three strangers respond to Abraham's invitation to rest in the shade of his tent. And the way they respond is by sitting down to the meal that he has prepared for them. In Esther chapter 5, we see the king and Haman respond to the queen's invitation by showing up for the evening meal. In Matthew 22, we see Jesus tell a parable in which th there's all these people who are invited to a wedding. And some people respond to the invite by showing up to the wedding. And other people respond by staying home to tend to personal matters. This morning, we're going to be turning our attention to another invitation that we see in Scripture. An invitation given by Jesus to a group of fishermen. But I also want us to realize that this invitation has been given to us as well. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. The book of Luke was written by a doctor whose name was... Luke, that's right. And he took it upon himself to research and record the life of Jesus Christ. At the time of our passage, Jesus has reached adulthood. He's been baptized and he has undergone the temptations by Satan. At this point in his life, his official ministry has begun in that he is teaching in the local synagogues. He has been casting out demons and performing miraculous healings. As a result of all these different, different activities that Jesus has been a part of, he has started to gain quite the following. Everybody wants to hear what Jesus has to say. Everybody wants to see him work a miracle. Everybody is wondering, who is this man? And that's where we're going to pick up our passage this morning. And so even though it was just read, we're going to read it one more time because we're going to be walking through it together. So let's read Luke chapter 5. Verses 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he said to him to put it out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. 
But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us your word. We thank you that your word is living and active, that you speak through your word, and that through your word, lives are changed. And so, Father, this morning I ask that as we go through this passage together, that you would be speaking to us. Holy Spirit, that you'd soften our hearts so that we would be receptive to what you have to say. Oh, Lord, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers as well. We love you, Father, and pray this in your name. Amen. Our passage this morning begins in verses 1 and 2. And there it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Even though it's fairly early on in Jesus's ministry, he has gained quite the following of people. And according to first century historian Josephus, this area of Galilee had a population upwards of three million people. So when it says that the crowds are pressing in on Jesus, I want us to realize this is not just like a small house church of 50 or 60 people. This crowd could have included thousands, if not tens of thousands of people who are pressing in on him, wanting to hear him teach the word of God. And so Luke says that one day as Jesus is walking along this lake of Gennesaret, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee, that they are pressing in on him. And when I, when I picture this, I, when I think of walking along the lake, I think of going to the beach at the landing. You know, a lot of us can picture that scene. And I can just picture Jesus walking along the beach of the landing, and you've got like the population of Swift Current all on the beach pressing around him, trying to hear what he has to say. And I just want you to picture this in your mind's eye for a moment. You've got all these people who are shoving, trying to get closer because they want to hear Jesus. You've got people complaining because their toes are getting stepped on by their neighbors. You've got the people in the back who are saying, hey, be quiet up there because I can't hear what he's saying. At this rate, because of the people, because of the crowds, only those in like a five-foot proximity are going to be able to hear anything. And so to help remedy the problem of the number of people, to help remedy the problem of poor acoustics, Jesus looks down the shoreline to see, is there a place that I can preach from? And we're told that he looks down, and what does he see down the shoreline? What does it say there? Two boats, that's right. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Having lived on an island in the Bay of Fundy for the last two years, which is just out in the Atlantic Ocean, where the primary industry is fishing, both herring and lobster, I learned that the best time to go fishing for herring is at night. And there's a couple of different reasons for it. First, fish come to the surface at night to feed. And second, 
at, at night, the darkness will not cost or cast any shadows for the nets because the shadows of nets will scare fish. And so that's why fishermen today go fishing at night. But it was also just as true back in the Bible days. They'd go fishing at night because fish come to the surface to feed at night and there's no shadows from the nets. On the flip side of things, fishermen would use the daytime to clean and mend their nets and then set them out to dry. Because if you don't dry your nets, after a while, they start to get moldy, they start to rot, and then they risk breaking easily. So because these fishermen during the day are not using their boats, they're busy cleaning their nets, one of these boats is going to provide the perfect pulpit for Jesus to preach from. So Jesus heads down the beach and he gets into the boat belonging to a man named Simon. We also know him as Peter. And he asks Simon to put the boat out a little distance from the land. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's setting up his own personal sound system. In being a little distance from the land and having some water between himself and the people, he's creating this sound system in which his voice will be able to bounce off the water and carry to the far reaches of the crowd so that everyone will be able to hear him. Now, we aren't told specifically what topic he spoke on that day, but when you look at the Gospels, we can guess he's talking about God the Father, he's talking about God's kingdom, and what God speaks, or what God expects of, of his people. Luke then continues in verses 4 and 5, and he says, And when Jesus had finished speaking all these things, he says to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. <clears throat> Jesus has finished teaching from the bow of the boat now. And he turns to the owner of the boat and says, Hey, get in. Let's go fishing. Let's take these nets and go out to the deep waters and let them down. Jesus was not a fisherman. <laughs> Jesus was a what? He was a carpenter, that's right. And so for a carpenter to suggest to a fisherman, let's go out fishing in the middle of the day, for an experienced fisherman like Peter, that would have sounded crazy. That would have sounded totally ludicrous. For an experienced fisherman like Simon, fishing during the day made no sense. Because as we've already talked about, the shadows of the nets would cause the fish to scatter, and the fishermen would have to drop their nets even deeper in the water where the fish resided during the day. And we have to remember, they did not have fish finders back then. So every time they drop their net, it's a gamble. And because the fish are so far down, the further down they drop the net, the further up they have to haul it. And they don't have hydraulics. They don't have pulley systems. This is all done by their own muscular power. To add insult to injury, Simon has just spent the entire previous night fishing. And what does he have to show for it? Nothing. That's right. And so if the fish were absent the night before, when it's dark, when the conditions are perfect, they're going to be even more absent during the day. And yet, despite his own protest, Simon says to Jesus, at your word, I will let down the nets. Even though it makes no sense to Simon, he's willing to do this. He's willing to go fishing. Even though he's going to be judged by his fellow fishermen, Simon is still willing to drop his nets. Even though it goes against everything he knows by experience, Simon is willing to drop his nets. Does he head for deeper waters because he thinks he might catch something this time? No. 
From his own personal experience, he knows that's probably not a reality. Does he head for deeper waters because that's where the fish are during the daytime? No, because he doesn't know if he's going to get anything down there. There's no fish-finding technology. Does he head for deeper waters because he says, hey, I need more of a muscular workout today? No, no, he doesn't. He even protests at his empty efforts the night before. Simon heads for deeper waters simply because Jesus asks him to. Simon knows from personal experience that with Jesus in the past that Jesus isn't just another religious teacher that makes random claims. If we look at Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus heal Simon's mother-in-law from a fever. If we look at John chapter 1, we see Andrew, which is Simon's brother, come to him and say, hey, there's this Jesus guy, we found him, he's the Messiah. And, and Simon has just spent the last, let's say, half hour, hour, listening to Jesus teach authoritatively from the, boat of, or from the bow of his own boat. And so, after all these experiences and encounters with Jesus, Simon knows that this man who says, let's go fishing, speaks with the authority of God. And because of all these things, he drops what he knows about fishing. He drops whatever logic he has. He drops his reputation as a fisherman, and he follows Jesus's commands out into deeper waters. Verses 6 and 7 tell us that once they go out there and once they drop their nets, that they, they, that they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats to the point that they begin to sink. This was probably the biggest catch that Simon had ever brought in in his lifetime as a fisherman. We don't know the exact number of fish, but we do know that it was so many that first, their nets are beginning to break. And second, that they bring in so many once the partner's boat comes in that both boats begin to sink. Now, the boats that were used for fishing back then, it's not just a little rowboat, it's not just a little dory, it's not just a, like a, a kayak or a canoe. There was a fishing boat excavated from that time period, and this boat that they found was 27 feet long, 7 feet wide, and 4 and a half feet deep. This boat was thought to have been able to carry about 15 passengers. So you've got these two boats that could carry combined 30 passengers, but they've only got James and John in one, and they've got Jesus, Simon, and Andrew in the other. So that leaves room for 25 extra people, but instead, all that room is filled with fish instead. And so there's a lot of fish here that are starting to sink these boats. When you look at this event, when we look at this event, we can't help but say that this was a miracle, that this was an act of God. All the odds were against Simon and his fellow fishermen. There was no fish the night before. It was daytime. Catching fish in the depths would be slim to none. From a human, from a human point of view, there's no chance they're going to bring in fish. From a human point of view, there's no chance they're going to bring in the record catch that they have. And yet here they are to the point that their boats are sinking under the weight. When Simon sees what has happened, and he realizes that it is Jesus that has caused it to happen, he falls down on his knees at Jesus' feet. And in verse 8, he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
You see, even though Simon knew that Jesus was more than a religious teacher, this solidifies it for him. Does he know that Jesus is the Son of God? No, not yet. That'll happen a few years down the road. But what Simon does understand is that the man before him is holy, and he speaks and he acts on behalf of God. Simon, on the other hand, on the contrary side of things, recognizes his own sinfulness and that he is not worthy to be in the presence of someone like Jesus. This experience has humbled Simon, and this humbling has prepared him for the invitation that Jesus is about to give. In verse 10, Jesus responds to Simon by saying, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Now, why might Simon be afraid? Why might Simon be afraid in the presence of Jesus? Perhaps it's because of the power he just saw Jesus display and bring in, bringing in all these fish. Perhaps it's because he knows Jesus is so holy and he himself is not. Whatever the reason, Simon is obviously trembling or exhibiting um, symptoms or signs of fear in the presence of Jesus. And so Jesus seeks to comfort him and he says, do not be afraid. Swiftly following this word of comfort, he continues by giving Simon, Andrew, James, and John a new calling in life. He says, no longer will you be men who catch fish. Now you will be catchers of men. And in the Greek language, this word catch literally means to capture alive. According to John MacArthur, these fishermen had spent their lives catching fish with the purpose of killing them. Now they would spend the rest of their lives catching men with the purpose of giving them life. They would spend the rest of their lives telling men about Jesus and the eternal life he offers in the kingdom of God. Our passage ends this morning in verse 11 by saying that when they had brought their boats to land, these fishermen left everything and followed him. Their fishing for the day is done. They couldn't add more fish to their boats if they wanted to because they're so overloaded already. But the truth is they don't want to continue fishing. That is now a thing of the past. They've been invited into something much bigger. They've been invited to join God in his mission of bringing people into his kingdom. The fact that they just brought in the largest, most lucrative catch of their lives does not stop them from following Jesus. They left everything. They left their livelihood. They left a steady source of income. They left their homes, their families, their local friends. They left everything that they knew to follow Jesus, to learn from him, to minister with him, to to live into this new calling that he had placed on their lives. Now, there are three things that I want us to take from our passage today, and each comes in the form of an invitation from Jesus. The first is that Jesus is inviting us to drop what we know and trust him instead. When Jesus told Simon to go out into those deeper waters and let down his nets in the middle of the day, it went against everything that that Simon knew as a fisherman. It went against everything that made sense in his mind. It went against everything that would have been considered practical in the fishing industry. And yet, when Simon accepted Jesus' invitation, 
when Simon trusted his instructions and followed him into deeper waters, it led to the largest catch of his life. You are going to go through situations in this life where God is going to ask you to do things that don't make sense, where God is going to allow you to go through situations that don't make sense according to what you know. It didn't make sense for God to call me to go to the most expensive Bible school in the province when the majority of my friends were all going to the most affordable Bible school just a couple hours away. And yet God said, I'll provide for you. Trust me. And so I sought to trust him and watched him provide. It didn't make sense when God called my sister home through a car accident when she was just 24 years old. She loved Jesus. She was always telling people about Jesus. And yet she died in that car accident just over five years ago. Didn't make sense. Didn't understand his timing. And yet God asked us to trust his timing. And through her passing, thousands of people heard the gospel and people came to Christ because of it. It didn't make sense when God called this prairie boy and his wife to leave the prairies that they'd always known, move to a small island in the middle of the Bay of Fundy in New Brunswick three days before a pandemic lockdown was issued. Didn't make sense at all. We had to stay in our yard for two weeks, didn't know anybody, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. And yet God asked us to trust him. And he brought about good fruit in our ministry there. What God asks of us and what he allows us to go through might not always make sense according to what we know or based on our own experience. But he's inviting us to drop what we know and trust him instead. And when we do, he will work out all things for our good and for his glory. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are two verses that many of us know. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And yet as fallen humans, our inclination is to question the Lord with all our hearts. Lord, why are you asking me to do this? Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? Lord, why are you making me go through this? That's what our inclination is to do. And yet scripture says we are called to trust the Lord. We are to drop what we know and trust that he is trustworthy and that his instructions are trustworthy as well. Now, I can't promise you that by trusting his commands and trusting his character that the next time you go fishing, you're going to get the biggest fish of your life. I can't promise that. I can't promise that by trusting him, you're going to win the lottery or that you're going to get that job promotion or that you're going to have all your dreams come true. Because the Bible is not a health and wealth gospel. Life doesn't work like that. But I can promise you that he is trustworthy because the Bible says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So our first invitation is that Jesus is inviting us to drop what we know and trust him instead. The second invitation we see in this passage is that Jesus is inviting you to drop your plans for your life and engage in the plans that he has for you. In the Jewish culture, boys started learning their trade from a very young age, often from their fathers. And so from boyhood, it was pretty much determined that Simon was going to be a fisherman. Most likely his father was a fisherman, his grandfather go up the lineage. Simon grew up learning how to fish. He probably didn't have any other um, jobs in mind. Having grown up here in the farming culture and, and now witnessed the fishing culture on the East Coast, I see a similar trend taking place. 
If a man is a farmer, often one of his offspring will take over the farm, so on and so forth. Because that's what's expected of them, that's what they've always known, that's what they've always wanted. And maybe you're not a farmer, maybe that wasn't your life, but maybe from a young age, I always wanted to do this, I always wanted to be this. And that's not saying that God didn't put that dream in your heart. But I want us to stop and consider, do we ever think that maybe Jesus might have a different plan for our lives than we do? You see, if I was to be honest, it was always my plan to graduate high school, go off to Bible school, come back to my hometown, pastor here till I retired. That was my plan. And I had the audacity to tell God as much. God, this is what I'm doing. I'm never going overseas. I'm not being a missionary. I'm staying in Swift Current my whole life. Well, that's a Jonah prayer because you tell God your plans and then he laughs and said, okay, here's my plan. Because as many of you know, I went off to Bible school and then instead of coming back here to be a pastor, I ended up being taken to a red light district in Amsterdam where I worked in a Christian hostel and got to share the gospel with thousands of people who came and stayed with us. After that, the Lord did bring me back to Swift Current. And I was like, yes, okay, back on track with Plan Jared. So here I am at Open Bible and spend five wonderful years getting to serve the people, learn from Pastor Rob, Pastor Josiah, Pastor Jay, getting to teach the word and minister to the youth. But God had different plans. I didn't retire here, obviously. Instead, he takes us out to the East Coast. And I think, okay, well, we're going to spend 10, 15 years out here. And again, God had different plans because two years later, here we are, right? And only he knows with certainty where we're, where we're going to serve next. I don't know the plans that God has for you, but let me encourage you to take some time today and spend some time in prayer and ask him, Lord, am I where you want me to be right now? Am I doing with my life what you want me to do? See, we can't just assume that our plans for our lives are God's plans for our lives. For all we know, he is inviting us into a much greater calling and we're missing out on it because we're so focused on what we want. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The Lord's ways are not our ways. His thoughts, his ways are so much higher. So I encourage you to ask him, Lord, am I doing what you want me to do? Am I where you want me to be? Because he may have a much greater calling that he has for your life and we're missing out on it because we're so focused on our own individual plans. The final invitation I want us to take from here this morning is that Jesus is inviting us to drop everything to follow him. And that's what we saw Simon do. He dropped his life as a fisherman he dropped his financial security, his friends, his comfort level, his old life. He dropped everything, left everything, so that he could be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus is inviting us to do the same today. Now, you may be sitting there wondering, well, how do you even start to follow Jesus? That's a great question. Following Jesus starts with understanding who he is and what he's done, because you would never want to follow someone that you didn't know. That'd, that'd be ludicrous. That'd be crazy. You don't know where they're going to lead you. But the Bible tells us who Jesus is. The Bible says that he is the son of God. The son of God who loved mankind while they were still sinning. And the Bible says that all of mankind has sinned. Romans 3.23 tells us that. We've all disobeyed God in some way, whether it's telling a lie, whether it's thinking a lustful thought, 
whether it's, and this one's what gets everybody, whether it's speeding on the highway, because we've all done that, you know? We've all sinned. And because we've sinned, Romans 6.23 says that the consequences of sin is death. That's right. Both physical and spiritual. Because of sin, people will have to die. And because of sin, people will spend eternity burning in the fires of hell. And whenever I say hell in a sermon, people always come up to me, you said hell in the sermon. It's like, yes, yes, I did. But pastors don't do that. No, they don't, but they should. You know, hell is a real place. Because of sin, many people will go there. And yet that's not what God wants because God loves those whom he has created. And that's why Jesus, out of love for us, came, lived a perfect life so that he could die as a perfect sacrifice to pay the debt that our sin owes God so that we could be rescued from an eternity in hell. We need to understand, though, that Jesus dying on the cross as that sacrifice doesn't automatically rescue everybody. The Bible says that we need to respond We respond by repenting and through faith, by seeking God's forgiveness and placing our trust in Christ's death on the cross to save us. If we do these two things, if we repent and believe, the Bible says that we shall be rescued from eternity in hell. And it is through these two things that we begin to follow Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Following Jesus is a lifelong pursuit. We continue to follow him by daily spending time in the word, reading it, studying it, seeking to apply what it says. We continue to follow Jesus by spending time in prayer, talking with God. So often people think prayer is talking to God, but God wants to speak to us as well. So be praying with your Bibles open. We continue this journey with Jesus by growing in fellowship with fellow Christians, by serving in the church, by sharing the gospel with those who don't know him. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into today. And so if you've never journeyed with Jesus, if you've never placed your faith in Christ before, I encourage you to do so today. Because Jesus is standing there with his hands extended saying, I want you. I love you. Yes, I know all the things you've done in this life. I know all the sins you've committed, but I still love you. And I want you to follow me. Now, for those of you who've been following Jesus for years now, I want you to ask yourself, is there anything in your life that you're carrying that is keeping you from following him more? Is there a sin that you're struggling with? A pain from the past? Maybe an idol that you just don't want to let go of? If so, may you heed the words of Hebrews thir- or chapter 12, which says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May we be willing to throw off whatever is hindering us from following Jesus more just as Simon was willing to do. He was willing to sacrifice everything to be a follower of Jesus. And it's my prayer that we would be willing to do the same. As we close our time together, I want to ask you this question, and I want you to think about it. Will you accept the invitations that Jesus is offering you? Will you drop what you know to trust him? 
Will you drop your plans for your life and live into the calling that he has for you? Will you be willing to drop everything to follow him? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you hmm, for the challenge it presents to us. Lord, I know that those are hard invitations. It's scary to drop the nets when it doesn't make sense, when the world is watching. And yet you have such an amazing life in store for us, Lord, if we do. Lord, let us not just be hearers of this word. May we seek to respond by taking you up on those invitations. We love you, Father, and pray this in your name. Amen.